You're listening to the Community Church in Orange podcast. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Lord, I just thank you that it's an empty cross and an empty tomb today that we serve a resurrected living King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we thank you today, Father. We bless you and honor you in this room. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sweet presence in this house, Lord, as we celebrate the reality of what you have done for us. Every barrier removed, you made a way where there was no way. You made it possible today. So today, I worship you. I worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. I exalt the name that's above every name in this house today. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're saving me. Come on, you can do better than that for Jesus. Give him a hallelujah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. may be seated. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place already. Hallelujah. I feel his presence. I'm so thankful that 30 years ago I was born again. I didn't get a religion. I didn't just join a church. I joined the kingdom of God 30 years ago. And it was because of what he did for me. I didn't deserve it, but he did it for me. Amen. I want to welcome you here. I'm Pastor Lloyd Thurman. If you're a visitor, I want to thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, it's an honor that you would come and be a part of this, this illustrated sermon that we've prepared. But I do want to give you a little forewarning on it. So in, 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 in the illustrated sermon, we'll be showing a clip from a movie, The Passion. Anybody familiar with the movie, The Passion? Well, if you're not, there's a very, very gory scene where Jesus is scourged. And so just wanted to give you a little forewarning of that. If you have children in here or maybe that's something that you wouldn't want to see, we'll be showing about two minutes of that clip. And the reason we're showing it is this was not a bloodless gospel, folks. There was real suffering by a Savior for you and me. So I wanted to give you a little insight onto that. So again, I want to welcome you here and I want to just begin with prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, Father. I, I worship you today, Jesus. I thank you for all the things that you have done for me your precious body that was sacrificed on that cross. I thank you for your blood that was spilled that I might be free. And today, Lord, we just thank you. And I pray today, Lord, that, that every part of this today would honor you. That no words spoken, no act done today, God, would honor or glorify anyone but the Lamb of God that is worthy of it. And so today we invite your presence into this room. Anoint this house. Speak by your spirit into the hearts of every individual in this room today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us in John chapter 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought him, brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, 
He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She's running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. And she is trying, but the canyon's ever widening in the depths of her cold heart. So she sits out. was this lady we don't exactly know who she is I think possibly she might have been Mary Magdalene we don't know exactly but there is that possibility and the Bible tells us the account of this woman was caught in adultery not just an accusation but the very act and no doubt in the moment she was caught that fear overwhelmed her. And those religious leaders of the day and those that wanted to try to catch Jesus, they brought her before Jesus and they were going to stone her. Now according to, the Bible says, according to the law of Moses, according to the very law of God, she deserved it. After all, she was an adulteress. Here's the truth that every one of us are just like her. We all have these things in our life. Maybe you say, well, I've never committed adultery, but you have sin in your life. She was caught in the act of her sin and brought before Jesus. And, and in this situation, she should have been stoned. And they were ready. They had the stones in their hands. They were so ready to throw them. There was probably hate in their heart. And there were demonic forces, no doubt, driving this scenario. You and I should have been just like this woman. We deserve death. The Bible says that they were ready to stone her, to, to kill her. They were just, after all, they were just obeying what the Bible said to do. But Jesus said, you who without sin cast the first stone. And then the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and began to walk away. wonder what this stone is. Maybe it's the 
word worthless. You see, these stones are stones of accusation. Get in your spirit for a moment. These are stones of accusation and condemnation. Now, maybe you weren't in that crowd. You weren't the lady laying there, but no doubt there's an accuser that has picked up the stone of worthlessness and cast it at you at times in your life. I, I, I would think that this lady felt pretty worthless. What caused her to get into the scenario of being caught in, in adultery? Maybe it was her background. I have no doubt that society viewed her as a worthless individual. And especially now, uh, she was tainted. She was impure. And so the feeling of worthlessness, literally the feeling of having no value to society, having no value to God, because after all, these were godly people with stones in their hands. The Bible says there's an accuser of the brethren that stands before God night and day. It is Satan himself. And I have no doubt that maybe you walked into this room today and you have felt this word worthless, seriously, moment, time and time again, spoken into your spirit. Maybe it's come through a family member. Maybe it's come through your job. Maybe it's come through a relationship, a, a spouse or, a, or somebody you care deeply in the word worthless is consistently spoken over you maybe it's whispered on in your ear on a daily basis maybe this morning when you got up you heard the word i'm worthless but the truth is even in adultery her value was infinite It's easy to be the religious people with the stones in our hands and to see how that she's, she's worthy of death and to point the finger and to cast the stone. But here is the truth. While you were a sinner, the Bible says, Christ loved you and died for you. At your worst, think about that for a moment. At the worst place in your life, he died for you. She was precious to Jesus. Not only did she no doubt feel worthless, she probably felt like a failure. Imagine that. She probably had failed everything in her life. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit today. Maybe there are failures in your life that you're carrying, you've carried into this room today. Maybe you have failed in a relationship. Maybe you have failed at your job. Maybe you have failed your children. Maybe you have failed God. No doubt she had failed according to the Word of God. She had sinned. She had committed adultery. She was a failure. Demonic hosts speaking those words over her probably throughout her life. That's probably what led her to this situation of needing to find some sense of fulfillment or to be good. So in the arms of another man, she tried to find her happiness. But in truth, she was really finding failure. 
Have you ever heard that word? I'm a failure. I grew up in a home with an alcoholic father in a town, a small town, impoverished. I knew what this word failure was because my entire life was enveloped by the word failure. My entire life was enveloped by the word worthless. In the eyes of society, this lady was a failure. And without Jesus, the truth is, every man, woman, and child is a failure. No doubt, this lady had a past. Your past. Does anybody have a past? Maybe when you were younger, you did things you're ashamed of. Maybe at some point in your life, there have been moments of failure. And now in your past, it has become such an overwhelming thing that the enemy has used a stone of accusation and condemnation that you have allowed your past to determine your present. Hear the Holy Spirit today. You've not even allowed the past to determine your present. But maybe you've allowed the past to determine the path to your future. She had a past, no doubt. We all do. Things in your closet that nobody knows. Things in your life that only you and God know or see. And the enemy, because it's a place of secrecy, an enemy, the enemy comes into your life and he picks up that stone of your past, that condemnation, that accusation, and he consistently tosses it at you. He consistently berates you with it. He consistently hits you with the failure of your past. And as a result, it's a cyclical thing that keeps you in the position of never finding real freedom. I'm here to tell you today that God will take up the past and heal it. He'll remove the stone of accusation, the stone of condemnation. You can't change your past. But you can change your present. You can change your future in the hands of God. Oh, I, I have no doubt that this lady's past was about to be changed. She not only felt that failure and worthlessness and issues of her past, there was no doubt hopelessness in her. Just as much as the word hope is powerful in the hands of God, the word hopelessness is powerful in the hands of the enemy. What does hopelessness mean? Hopelessness means that there is no answer. There is no other way. Don't you know that in this situation, it was hopeless. I, I would dare say she probably had seen other people stoned for sexual sin. I would say that she's probably 
seen other situations and scenarios that were maybe not even as bad as hers. And, and now she's laying at the feet of Jesus with these people with these stones are ready to kill her. And she probably is kind of wondering what is going on because my situation's hopeless. I, I've often wondered what drives a person to suicide. It is this word, hopeless. It is the feeling that there is no answer. There is no other way. Maybe you walked into this room today and you feel hopeless. Your situation is beyond repair. That you can't do anything with it. That it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. I want you to know today you're not hopeless. What else did she probably experience? She probably felt helpless. When you're young, you think that you can do anything. When you're young, you think that you can climb a mountain. <laughs> and then as you get older and you start be becoming weak or you face physical ailment or you face scenarios and situations that, that envelop your mind and, and cause you to act and react. And so the result of that is you start feeling overwhelmed by this word helpless. Don't you think that she was probably feeling helpless? There's nobody here saying, hey, you know, she's okay. She's, she's not that bad of a lady. No, the truth is she was only standing under the condemnation of these rocks, the, the accusations, demonic hosts that were there trying to drive this situation, trying to kill this lady. Maybe you walked into the house today and you feel helpless. Maybe you feel helpless about your finances. Maybe you feel helpless about your relationship. Maybe you feel helpless about scenarios and things that are beyond your control. You can't change it. You are powerless in the situation to change it. That's the way she no doubt felt. Powerless to change it. If God didn't show up, if somebody didn't help her, she was for sure dead. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you think, well, I've got it under control. The deception of the enemy is to believe that you have it under control. But without Jesus, you are totally helpless and without power to change your situation and your circumstances. Finally, she no doubt felt guilty. in a court of law when that word is spoken after guilty comes sentencing yeah after guilt is proven it's time for the sentence now in America we have the court of appeals but here is the truth before God every person born on this planet is born under this word guilty she was guilty 
Think about this for a moment. Jesus said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Why didn't Jesus pick up the stone and, and strike her with it? You know, it was under the law of God that that was what was supposed to happen. Why would God himself in the flesh not strike her with the stone? I mean, she, you don't want to touch an adulteress. She deserves death. Cast her out. Get rid of her. Jesus, why didn't you take the stone and strike her? She's guilty. You're guilty. The judgment is for sin, under guilt, the judgment is death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. So you're all guilty. Every person in this room today and every person by live stream today is guilty and should be struck down by that stone. But why wouldn't Jesus do it? Because he's merciful. And because she was precious to him. Instead of condemning her, standing with the accusers, Jesus does something amazing. Unheard of in this society. He gets up from where he's at. He takes Mary's hands and he raised, tells her to rise. He says, where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, I don't have any accusers. He said, I don't condemn you either. And then he tells her these incredible words. You see, God not only removes the stones of accusation and condemnation, He wants to remove the guilt. As I said earlier, we are all guilty. We are all standing before God under this cloak of guilt because of the sin that was performed in the garden. The Bible tells us in Genesis that Adam and Eve, in disobedience to the word of God, to the will of God, chose to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The result of that was is that all of humanity was now loaded down with the guilt of sin. Every person born on this planet is born under the guilt of sin. For some, that is a, the idea of a, an unjust God. An unjust God that would hold everybody accountable for the actions of a couple of people thousands upon thousands of years ago. Why would this God that you were saying is loving and merciful, why would he hold us to that guilt? Because God is a God of justice and a God of holiness. He will not contradict his own word. So guilt is upon the world. And the sin that's there is a mountain. It's immovable. It's an impassable gap. And the truth is, you and I are hopeless and helpless to overcome it. We can't do it on our own. You can't change yourself without the power of God. 
For what kind of loving God would condemn men based on the actions of others? You see, as I said earlier, the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no payment of sin, is what the Bible tells us. So for every act of disobedience, for every act of sin that is contrary to the word and the will of God, the payment, the penalty for that is death. So every failure you've had, somebody has to die. When you've spoken bad, when you've acted wrong, when you've done wrong, when you've thought wrong, somebody has to pay for those actions. That's the law and the word of God. Some would say, well, I'm not sure I want to serve a God like that. Hold on for a moment because this God not only requires the payment of blood or death for sin, here is the truth. He provided the payment. Revelation 13, 8 says that Jesus stood as a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. I want you to get the scripture for a moment. In the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, when when he created the heavens and the earth, before that, Jesus was ready to die. Why would God create a creation that knowingly would fail? He is not interested in having robots, but sons and daughters. He does not want you to serve him because you have to. He wants you to serve him because you want to. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming down the way, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was spotless. The truth is he did not deserve to die for my failures and your failures. He didn't deserve it. One of the most incredible verses of Scripture in the Bible, Isaiah 53 and 10, says this. It pleased God to crush him. How do I wrap my mind around that? It pleased God to crush Jesus? What does that mean? I can't even begin to fathom giving my son's life for someone who has done so much wrong much less the thought of it pleasing me at the thought of my son dying in your place. Yet it pleased the Father. I don't get that. I want to tell you this, that God knows your failure, but he looks beyond your failure and he sees your infinite worth to himself as his creation. He loves you with an everlasting love and he is drawing you to himself. So not only did he require death for sin, he provided the sacrifice. He stood in your place and died for you. That's why it pleased him. He looked beyond the moment of the cross to today. My prayer is that in this room today, that this illustrated sermon is more than just has some entertainment value but it is moved by the Spirit of the living God to bring conviction into your life, to know this, that God loves you so much, He did everything for you to come into relationship with Him. Now, the Bible tells us that 
there was a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. As they, Jesus came in, they were laying out the palm fronds in front of him. They were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna is the king. And just a few days later, they were ready to crucify him. So the religious leaders got Jesus and brought him in and brought him before Pilate. And, he said, and, they, and they were accusing him of all sorts of things. They wanted him dead. They wanted him crucified. And the Bible says that Pilate did his best to try to not crucify Jesus. He said, I don't see any fault in this man. And so finally he sends him to Herod. And Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate doesn't want to crucify him. His wife says, listen, have nothing to do with this innocent man. I've suffered in a dream from him. And finally they kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. And in giving in to the crowd, finally Pilate takes a bowl of water and he washes his hands. He said, listen, I am innocent of this man's blood. I am innocent. And they cried out, let his blood be upon us and our children. And Pilate took Jesus and delivered him to his soldiers where he was scourged.
a bloodless gospel, folks. The scourging was a terrible punishment. It was feared throughout the known world. Criminals, they trembled at the thought of the scourging. Jesus was scourged. He was beaten. He was, his stripes were placed upon his back. And the Bible tells us that he himself bore our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes, we are healed. When he was there in that scourging post, he was there in my place. He was there in your place. The blood that was spilled and the pain that was felt was for every failure that I have made and every failure that you have made. There was only one way, folks. There was only one way that you and I could come into relationship with God. There was only one way that this impassable gap of sin, this impossible mountain of sin could be dealt with. It was through the blood, through the scourging. And then he was placed upon the cross. You know, the Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his crucifixion, he went with his disciples to the Garden to pray. They didn't know what was coming. They just had the Passover meal. Their eyes were heavy, is what the Bible says. And he said, pray with me, and they fell asleep. And Jesus said this prayer. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from humanity was showing in that moment. He understood what he was about to endure. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours. What's incredible is that Jesus was God in the flesh. The Bible tells us that he could have called a legion of angels to come to his rescue. The Bible tells us that soldiers nailed him to the cross but I would dare say this soldiers did not nail him to the cross he went to the cross willingly how could anyone how could anyone place him on a cross he placed himself there think about that for a moment he had never done wrong 
perfectly innocent. You've never failed. You've never slipped and said a curse word. And the very people that wanted to crucify you, you're dying for them. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That was amazing. I mean, it's bad enough to know that you would have to experience it, let alone having the power and the authority that at any moment you could speak one word and an angelic host would show up and remove you from that scenario. But he stayed there. And I'll tell you, I've heard it said this way. It was not nails that held him to the cross. It was love. It was love for you. You mean he loved me? He loved me when I said that? You mean he loved me when I did that? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. No doubt when he was on the cross that you were on his mind. He loves you. It's incredible to think that being on that cross that there willingly, that he was there, he was scorned, he was beaten. Everything, everything that we have felt or experienced, he experienced. And yet he stayed there for willingly, for hours. As the, as the sky grew dark and the day wore on, something began to transpire on the cross for the first time in all of eternity that place without beginning and without end Jesus began to feel alone and forsaken and he cried out these words expressed this, that he and the Father were one. There had never been a separation between them. Theologians say this, and I agree. The belief is that in that moment that all of your sin was placed on him. From the time that you stole something or the time that you said something or the time that you did something, your sin was placed upon him. And the reason he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Is because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 that our sins and iniquities have separated us from God. I want to tell you this. Religion will never save you. Religion will never restore you. It was through the precious sacrifice of the spotless Son of God that you were given access and opportunity for restoration with the Father. So on that moment he was bearing upon the cross, all of the sin of humanity was upon him. Hours he was in this torturous situation, the death that was reserved for a criminal. I should have been there, not him. 
He did it for me. Not only did he go to the cross willingly, but he willingly, after several hours, gave up his spirit. But before he did that, he said these words. What did that mean? It was in that moment that the work to deal with the mountain of sin was done. The blood was over. The death would come. The penalty for sin was paid. Whatever was required from a holy and just God had been paid upon the cross for you and I. The mountain of sin, the impassable gap, had been removed. Death, sin was being removed in this moment. He would bore upon his body the punishment, the penalty that you and I deserve. So when he cried out, it is finished, he meant it was finished. It's nothing that you do to bring you to salvation. You have to receive him. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. This free gift of salvation was bought and purchased for you and I through the precious blood of the spotless perfect Lamb of God. Now the Bible tells us that a man, Joseph of Arimathea, went to Pilate and he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised that he had died so quickly. And so they took him from the cross and they placed him in the tomb.
And now the barrier of sin has been dealt with. But God didn't stop there. You see, there's another barrier. The other barrier that must be dealt with is death. The truth is that every person in this room is an eternal being. You don't die and your consciousness just disappears. No, you will live eternally somewhere. You'll either live eternally with the Father or you'll live eternally separated from the Father. So death has now touched the body of the lifeless. And I want to tell you this, folks. The death I speak of is not just the heart stopping and the lungs quit moving and the organs quit functioning, the blood pumping through your body. It's not just that, but it's the real death. The real death is ultimately eternal separation from God. The Bible describes it this way. Total blackness, total darkness. God did not create hell for man. He created a hell for Satan and the angels. The Bible tells us it has been enlarged because of the rebellion of men. So God loves you so much, he removes condemnation and accusation. He, he deals with the barrier of sin and, and now the life giver, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one that breathed the breath of God upon dust and it became flesh and bone and the one that brought life into this world now tastes the cold, creeping hand of death. Three days. Three days inside that cold stone tomb rigor mortis no doubt set into his body no doubt coldness overtook him decay began to sweep over his flesh I want you to think about this for a moment imagine the mood of the disciples they had all walked away from Peter, one of his closest ones, denied him. Peter had given up and fled. And now they're locked up in the house and they're broken. The one they had followed for two years, they had put all their trust in. The one that was the restorer of Israel, the Messiah, the one that was the Christ, the, the one that they had put so much faith and trust in. Now he's dead. doubt they were distraught they were depressed you see they didn't understand what the word of God tells us you and I have the luxury of looking back Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2 says that on the third day he would rise Jesus said himself that there would be a sign given the sign of Jonah 
in the belly of the well for three days. Three days she lay there. We can conjecture exactly what happened in those three days. They say that he went to hell and took the, the, the keys of death from the enemy. For three days, the disciples were no doubt defeated and bound. The Bible tells us that in that tomb, something began to happen. I, I wonder if there was maybe a wind began to blow. It says the Spirit of God began to move in that tomb. The Bible says that that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens your mortal body. It tells me this, that the Spirit of God was there in that tomb. And he came down and he began to move upon Jesus. Maybe the finger began to twitch. Maybe the hand began to move and it began to, to operate. And all of a sudden, warmth displaces coldness. The Spirit of the living God blows into that tomb and and then the one in that midst of that darkness, light, came on. Woo. Wished I could have been there. The light displaces the darkness. The warmth of life displaces the coldness. That glorified body of Jesus now, because in that moment, he was resurrected in a glorified body. Let me tell you, death was defeated. But the disciples didn't know it yet. They had no idea. The Bible tells us that the angels of the Lord appeared to them. They did something amazing. They rolled the stone back. Why would they roll the stone back for Jesus? He had a glorified body. He passes right through stone. to tell you this I don't know if you're distraught this morning about situations and circumstances in your life but God is concerned with everything that concerns you because there were some ladies Mary Magdalene being one of them decided to make their way to the tomb early in the morning with spices to anoint his body and as they were traveling, one of the things that they discussed, the Bible says, who's going to move the stone for us? Mary arrives at the tomb and she sees that the body of Jesus is gone and she becomes distraught. They not only crucified him, now they've taken his body. But the angels of the Lord assured her, he is not here. He is risen. 
Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. dare say that God has done everything in his power to bring you to himself. He's moved every barrier. He's crossed every divide. He ultimately is the only way. And the Bible tells us this. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As I begin this today, I said to you, my desire, my hope and prayer is that this would be more than have some entertainment value. I praise God for his resurrection. I praise God for the penalty of sin that he paid for me at the cross. I thank, thank God for what he's done for me. 30 years ago, I was lost. I was blind. I was in a world of drugs and alcohol and every immoral thing you could think of. But I met Jesus. Those words of worthlessness, hopeless, helpless, guilty, your past, those words are words that the enemy will use in your life to keep you in a place of bondage and away from God. 
you allow him. As many as received him, the Holy Spirit's in this room. The spirit that was at creation is in this place right now. And he's speaking to you. Maybe you're here because of religious duty, because it's Easter. I'm glad you're here. Whatever reason for reading, More than that, I believe that you are here in a divine appointment from God himself. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. Maybe the words of worthlessness and failure and hopeless and all those things, they spoke to your heart this morning. And maybe you are, you're tired of living under that accusation and that condemnation from the enemy. Let me tell you, you don't have to live like that any longer. Jesus already defeated the enemy. Every head bowed. So this is the moment where we take and apply what was spoken this morning to our lives. The spirit of the living God is in this room today and he wants to draw you to himself. He wants to change you from within. He wants to set you free. All you have to do is make the deliberate choice to receive him into your life today and transfer him let him transform your life. He's real. He's alive. He's not a religion. He's not from a dusty Bible from 2,000 years ago made up by men. No, he is a risen living Savior, and his presence is in this room today. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is in this place today. And the truth is, today, that same spirit wants to raise you from the dead. He wants to bring you from, from death to life from darkness into the light, from coldness to warmth today. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today, you want to make a change. You want to receive what Jesus has done for you. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to receive Christ in your life. Every head bowed this morning. You say, Pastor Thurman, that's me. Would you lift your hand in this room? Anybody in this room? Yes. I see those hands. You want to give your heart to Jesus. Start afresh. Hallelujah. Yes. We're going to pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want you in my life. I'm tired of walking the way I've been walking. I want to be clean. I want to be whole. I want to be new. Change me, Jesus. I receive you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise. that dedication in your prayer this morning at the end of the service I'll be out here in the foyer I'd like to talk with you I'd like to connect you to community church we want to help you we want to help you see your life change and transform that's what the gospel is about folks it's about changing your life this is a new day this is a fresh start
Today is Resurrection Sunday, and he resurrected some folks in this house. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite the cast of the illustrated sermon to come up here. Come on, Jesus. Jesus, you don't have his glasses on. Heal yourself, Jesus. <laughs> hey, man, I want to say how much I appreciate they all. Is this all I'm wearing? There's my harlot. Thank you. <laughs> I sincerely appreciate them and the musicians. It was a blessing working with him, and I want to say to you, blessing having you here today. And I know you probably have plans with your family and all that. You're going to go out and eat some of those weird crawfish things. I'm from West Texas, so I want to say the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you for a thousand generations to your home, your family. Go in the peace of Jesus today. We love you. Emily, make sure and make see a visitor, make them feel welcome. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Amen. so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to learn more about Community Church, you can visit our website at ccorange.org or come follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash community orange. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you next time.